Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 97th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that tries to keep your wallet stable in these unstable times. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTGCritic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at WizardBumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, good afternoon, evening, uh, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of cool stuff with you this week. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? James, this week we've got a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We're going to look at the cards that have seen the most uh, rise, largest rise in price over the past week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I are going to outline some cards that we think may stand to gain in the coming weeks and months. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to be talking about the SEG Invitational and in Roanoke. I'm looking at a, a modern top eight. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, we've got a couple questions from viewers we're going to hit on, uh, some some slightly more uh, timeless topics that I'm sure we probably don't talk about quite as often as we could, and whatever uh, tickles James Fancy by the time we get there. So let's start off the week, segment one, top movers, Mesmeric Orb from Mirrodin, uh, the only non-foil this week, been very quiet the last two or three weeks on non-foil cards, part of that's the holiday season. Tends not to be too much going on. Um, started the actually, no, that is supposed to be foil too, isn't it? Maybe it's not foil. I have non-foil written down, but it could be foil. It's fifteen. No, that is the non-foil price. Jeez, okay, yeah, non-foil, fifteen to like twenty-two, twenty-three. Um, Mesmeric Orb only has one printing. It's from Mirrodin. It was a bulk rare for a very long time. It's a mill card, so it appeals to the mill casuals. And there's also been. Um, mill deck floating around on the ultra fringes of modern for a couple of years now. So I think this is probably just kind of a low supply type of thing, unless you've got a better insight. Like I didn't see anyone build a mill deck recently, but at this point there are enough content creators that maybe someone somewhere posted a list with it and it drained. Gabby Sparks was playing mill on stream uh, earlier this week. I'm not, I'm not sure if it included as Miracor, but it certainly, um, you know, makes the cut in various forms of the deck. It's in like 3000 EDH decks as well on EDH rack. So the, uh, this is really about the fact that it just card just hasn't been reprinted in a long time. Um, it's not even one of the most powerful mill cards possible, but in a big enough EDH game, it can sur- sure do some damage. This card is actually insane in EDH. Uh, I run it in a CDC deck, the one that uh, the Undead Vizier that gets zombie tokens whenever a creature's put into the graveyard. And I, I just liked it because each mill trigger is individual. So like if you mill four cards in each, any, all four creatures, you get four zombie tokens as opposed to something like uh, Mulch where you would you only get one total because it's all one action. But Ms. Miracorp is surprisingly vicious uh, on turn two or three in an EDH game because people are quickly untapping four or five lands. They've got a couple creatures, uh, a mono rock. And I mean, if you, it doesn't take long before you're hitting people between four and nine or 10 permanents a turn. And if nobody finds an artifact removal spell in the first four turns of the game, you can eat 30% of their deck. Um, and my deck, and I just use it for the zombie tokens. I'm not even interested in the mill. So if that's something you're after, it's very effective at it. Yeah, fair enough. The, uh, I've been, I, this has been quietly on the move for a while, um, and it's the kind of card that could show up uh, as kind of a throwaway rare in something like Magic 25th or, you know, anywhere down the road. So, And I also suspect it's the kind of card that anybody who was playing in the Mirrodin era just has a couple copies sitting around in their collection. So if you missed that this card was on the rise, you might want to look at an opportunity to sell out and flip it into something you actually need. Yeah, and you know, at this point, I'm not sure that there's really that uh, that margin of copies left anymore because it's not the first time this card has kind of moved in price. I remember it was uh, a couple dollars. It jumped from bulk to a couple dollars, like seven or eight bucks a while ago. So we might have already seen all of that sort of 
fat drain from the market essentially. So now it's concentrated much more in the hands of people who know what they're doing. Yep. Fair enough. Moving on. Uh, next on the list, we've got custody Squire from conspiracy. The foils moving from a dollar 50 to two seventy five. This is uh, again, an irrelevancy. This card, it will occasionally show up in EDH decks. Um, but cards that move from a dollar 50 to $3 are largely irrelevant for, for financial purposes. So, Moving right along, storage matrix foils from ninth edition moving from four seventy five to nine dollars. That's good for a four dollar gain or about ninety percent. Um, looks like the you know it was either a buyout or it just got mopped up when the supply was super low. It's only ever shown up in like less than five hundred EDH decks, um, but there's no foil supply at this point below fifteen dollars. Um, again, just a card that hasn't been reprinted in a long while um, that has a relatively low um, demand curve. Um, not the kind of thing you're likely to make much money on. And I highly doubt many of us have uh, a bunch of them stashed away for spec purposes. Yeah, I was surprised at how little play this sees. I was expecting it to be in more decks, but it's not. So there you go. Um, next up on our list is Nevermaker from Morning Tide. We're looking at the foil copies. Started a little under a dollar, up to about three bucks. Um, I didn't see any reason this would jump. Brago is a little was a re- I don't want to say popular, but like is on the radar as a commander deck in terms of how popular it was over on EDH this month to build and never makers. Okay. And Brago. Um, but there's gotta be extremely low supply. I mean, we're talking about a single printing from morning tide foils. So I don't think that there was like an event that triggered the push here. Just probably one or two people picked up a copy. I did notice that if you go out to like Star City and a couple other websites, they do have foil copies at two dollars, and they've got a couple of them. So if you know if you wanted this for yourself, they're still out there for a pretty reasonable price. Um, and I don't see these ever really holding more than like a five or six dollar foil price tag. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you want to finish this off, James? Sure. So we've got Call to the Netherworld. Um, foils from Time Spiral, in theory, moving from $2 to $15. Um, I must have missed the deck that's making use of this. This is the uh, one black mana spell that brings a creature um, back to your hand and it has Madness Zero. I don't know if people are fooling around with this with Hollow One or Death Shadow or what. Yeah, I I also had to go looking for this because I had no idea what the heck it was or why it was popular all of a sudden. But it's a... um... There's a black, red, hollow one deck. The that's the card that gets two cheaper for every card you like cycled or discarded this turn. So you could turn it into like a free four or five or whatever it is. Um, and I think it took like 26th place at Roanoke, and it looks like there was a five zero online. So it's like Blood Gast and Hollow One and uh, uh, oh, shoot, I see it. Yeah, Flames Cycler one. Yeah, Flame Blade Adept, Bloodgast, Flame Wake Phoenix of all things. Flame Wake Phoenix, really. Um, uh, Hollow One, Street Wraith, and Gurmag Angler in that deck, alongside Burning Inquiry, Faithless Looting, Lightning Bolt, Cathartic Reunion, and Fiery Temper. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, so a, a different take on the deck. Uh, and still a pretty, a pretty cheap uh, deck by modern standards. You can get it for less than 600 bucks. Um, if you feel like fooling around with it online, more like 270, probably the kind of thing you want to rent the cards on first and see if it's any good for any period of time. <laughs> These kind of things tend to be a little flash in the pan, but it's actually five owned multiple uh, leagues this week. Oh, multiple. Well, that's better than I would have guessed. Uh, probably there's just no uh, graveyard um, hate in the format right now, right? Like it's not really a, a big angle at the moment, I don't think. It also looks like between Faithless Looting, Burning Inquiry, and Cathartic Reunion, it can fill a graveyard back up, right? So if they get off a Relic of Progenitus or whatever, that might only be a setback as opposed to a game over. Yeah, I mean, those decks have had that going on for a while where, you know, something like Rest in Peace is pretty obnoxious, but uh, the the one-time use are significantly less effective. Um, Well, I mean, that was it for cards this week that rose in price. It's been really quiet. Uh for better, for better or for worse, it has been real quiet. Yeah, let's move on to some pretty cool picks for this week. Um, there's all sorts of interesting specs on the horizon, uh, even in this quiet period. My first pick of the week is As Foretold Foils, a card that has been showing up in Mono Blue Living Death decks, who have also been 5-0 in leagues uh, all week on MTGO. 
Um, and I think this is just like the first sign of the of people finally kind of coming around to the utility of this card. I ran a a poll um, several months back on Twitter asking people what at what price they would get in on these foils, and the majority of people said never or at five dollars. And then <laughs> I chuckled a little at the time, thinking that's got to be wrong. Like this this card cat does nothing when it hits the table, and against an aggro deck, you're basically just playing a blank. But in any deck that any deck that can force the game into the mid to late game, this starts casting spells for free on everybody's turn if you're an EDH, um, and at least you know p- potentially uh, once, twice every turn cycle um, in a two-player game. And so in the mono blue Living Death deck, you're basically using it to cast Living Death and bring a whole bunch of stuff back that you cycled. Um, foils are sitting in and around twelve dollars right now. Um, the supply is relatively low. Um, it wouldn't take a couple more than a couple more, you know, deck shells to show up that want to run it before this is going to be a $25, $30 card. Yeah. As for told is awesome. We talked about it extensively when it was spoiled. Uh, it does some, some cool stuff. There's a lot of opportunity. It hasn't materialized in the format, the way we kind of wondered it, it might, but now you're just finally starting to see a breakthrough with this, with this model blue living death deck. And I think, you know, Wizards isn't going to be in a rush to print more free spells. So I don't think you're getting more ammo for it in terms of like what your payoff is, but you'll probably, you know, you're going to get more and more components to the engine, more cogs, more gears. Um, so at $12, that's pretty cheap considering what was this at pre-order? Wasn't this card like $25 for non-foils or something? Yeah, it was super high. And and foils had dipped as low as like 8 to $10 um, when it was barely being played anywhere. Um, but I've, I've been a couple times when we had the 15 off 75 plus coupons on eBay, I went ahead and loaded up on like, uh, $75 worth and got them for 60 or whatever. So $15 a copy at the time. Um, and it's even a little below that. So, uh, I, I went ahead and pushed in on another, I think eight copies last night. Okay. So you're, you're definitely in then. <laughs> I mean, the thing about this is it's a four of foil mythic that has modern possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I remember singing all of the praises of this card at the time. So, I mean, if it's, cool. if it's a rare, if it's a rare, we're much light, less excited. Right. But yeah. foil mythic yeah. that are played as four of's like <laughs> take a look at the price of foil Liliana. Yeah, for sure. And I, the other thing I like about this is that it's a, it's a permanent and this might just be me. I've never really gotten a feel for how other people feel about this, but it's a permanent, which means it sits on the battlefield. So having it foil, like is cooler than for instance, a foil Sphinx's revelation, which is on the stack and then gone and you never get to look at it. There's also a lot more uh, fatal push running around than there is abrupt decay. Um, abrupt decay being a really, a pretty straightforward answer for this against a blue deck. They can't counter it and it trades trades up. Um, but in a format where more people are much more likely to be running the one mana kill spells than they are the two. Um, and when they go up, they usually go into something like dismember so that they can take care of like reality smasher and what have you. Um, you know, this, there's a bunch of sneaky ways that as foretold could just post up in the format and do some work. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So let's hop over my first pick of the week. Uh, I feel like I've talked about this before, but I didn't see it anywhere. Maybe it was in one of my articles on a Monday. I didn't go look. But it's Detention Sphere. Uh, I, I like the foils. Right now, you can pick up foils right around 6 bucks. This currently only has one printing. Um, so you're not battling with a lot of supply. We could always see another printing of this card. But if you see it, obviously, in anything other than a standard um, or master set, it's not going to come foil. So... Uh, you know, if they put it in, in a commander decks next year, if they put it in an arch enemy, whatever plane chase, you're not getting them foil. Uh, it's in 7,600 EDH decks, 7,600, which is definitely above our threshold for uh, should I care? Uh, yeah. Probably kind of, probably like at least more than double our threshold, really. Uh, it's a pretty high, pretty high popular multicolor card, actually. Um, there's only... There's not that many copies of this left. I think there's under 30 on TCG player right now. So... You've got a very popular EDH foil, definitely has fringe modern support too, like Just Guy Control decks in modern run it on occasion, if they'll either run it main or side, what have you. Um, it's good in cubes. I mean, it's useful pretty much anywhere. It's legal in some capacity. So low supply, low foil price. I think you're good up to probably at least $15, if not more possibly. 
Yeah, and I, I'm looking over at the Japanese e-commerce vendors, and they're just so load of all the foils, which suggests, you know, like control X, obviously, plus Japan equals, um, you know, a consistent trend line. And uh, anytime I want to see if something like Detention Sphere or Search for Azkanta is like, is setting up with the technical players, you take a look at how it's doing on the, the Japanese sites. If it's sold out, it's probably a good indicator that they, that uh, the control players think it's, it's, it's the real deal. Um, and there's both blue, white, and Jeskai control builds running around in modern right down right now, doing good work. Um, Detention Sphere is useful in a bunch of different scenarios in modern, where you're facing down multiple tokens of the same type, or <clears throat> you know, uh, a couple of vault scourges out of Affinity, or uh, you know, Eidolon of the Great Veil, or whatever you got to get rid of that might be sitting in multiples from a deck that from the decks that are running high degrees of consistency in a bunch of four ofs. So card strong, EDH and modern play, um, its biggest risk is definitely reprint. And the longer you can stave that off, like if you didn't see it in M25, then those foils probably have a pretty healthy chance to breathe. Um, so, you know, that would be the one thing I would think about. Yep, I agree. It's, it's, M25 is certainly the one, the one thing to be nervous about, but like, we'll see how that goes. All right, what do you got next for us? Seeing as how Iconic Masters had a bunch of cons block cards that are younger than Return to Ravnica, we know that that's fair game. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. It's just, you know, we keep, every every pick we talk about, we're like, well, it's fine as long as it doesn't get reprinted in Masters 25. And it's like, at this point, we've provided more cards than is even necessary, more cards than they could print in the set, right? So uh, they can't print everything. Yep, fair enough. So... Next on my list is Whir of Invention Foils, which are currently f- just $4 at a Kaladesh. Um, I can see these easily cresting $10 on the back of uh, moderate EDH demand. It shows up in like 4,000 decks on EDH Rec so far. Um, but it's a four of in the updated Lantern Control decks uh, as championed by Sam Black, who finished second place at the SCG Invitational running this new version of the deck. Um, Word of Invention was a card that I flagged early on in the Kaladesh release pattern um, as something that just looked like it was going to get broken at some point. I mean, it's a tutor that lets you tap permanence to pay for it. Um, that's basically the blue court of calling, as I, think, I think is what we referred to it as at the time, which is certainly exactly what it is and exactly how Sam Black is wielding it in that deck to make sure that he can go find his ensnaring bridge or whatever piece they might have just gotten rid of. Um, the thing about Lander Control is if you can get rid of a couple of their key pieces, you might have a chance, but if they can easily replace them or find the missing piece to lock you out, then it's often good night. Yeah, that deck is... Uh... A real bummer. <laughs> like as a player, <laughs> that deck is awful. But I, yeah, it does seem to slot right in there. So uh, at four bucks, that seems completely fine, especially because it's hardly the last time we'll see a good artifact deck, especially one that's built around combos. Yeah, and from what I can see, quite a few of the decks, uh, the Lander Control decks on Magic Online, have switched over to this, and it looks like it's you know taking down leagues here and there. Uh, you know, five zero four one five zero kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's there's you know decent inventory of this sitting around, so you don't have to be in a huge rush. But I also wouldn't sleep on it, especially if you plan to play it. If you're planning on playing it, no brainer. Go ahead and get them because you're probably going to get some good use out of it <clears throat> at your local LGS, and and then at some point be able to swap them out for regular copies or something, and and make some good coin for sure. All right, my next card for the week is Thassa, God of the Sea uh, from Theros. Again, I like the foils here currently at around $17 or so, which is a little pricey, but this is an 11,000 EDH decks. There's only 30 copies on TCG Player right now, and they are not all $17. Um, I think it, it probably goes up to like 35 right now over there within that 30 copies. Uh the Theros copy has that really cool border that I don't know if we will see again. We haven't seen any reprints of the enchantment creatures, I don't think, from Theros anywhere. Uh, or no, did we see Corsair of Crawfix? Did that get reprinted? Well, it was in a supplemental product with different art. Oh. Um, hmm. Let me see. Wait, sorry. Hold on. Let me check this because I see it had a buy a box promo, but that was or the Clash Pack, but that was at the same time. Uh, let's see. TCG player says no. TCG player says it was only in the clash pack, which would have come out during the Theros block. Um, so I don't know if we've seen an enchantment creature reprinted outside of Theros 
yet. So we don't know what treatment they're going to get. In any case, it'll still be the original foil printing. There are 11,000 copies in EDH. It's very popular there. It pops up in modern every now and then. Um, and, you know, without a reprint over the next year or two, which I don't think I wouldn't expect to see, um, especially not foil, original foil, I could see this hitting $40. Yeah, I mean, it needs, it needs, again, as as with Detention Sphere, it needs time to drain before a reprint. Um, and again, it could be an M25. Um, like we, we just have no idea what the focus of that set will be. <laughs> I mean, I know what I think it should be, but given that Iconic Masters was nothing, largely not what the rest of us expected, um, you know, we, we need to leave it to Wizards to try to tie the themes together and, and, and leave our uh, realm of possibility pretty wide open. So, um, you know, if you need one of these for an EDH deck, uh, original foils are probably going to hold, you know, decent value. Um, I suspect that you, uh, you know, maybe you don't get the the enchantment creature border the next time. Um, I'm not sure how much that's really going to matter to the average player, um, given that they trade up to the security seal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think we had during Theros block. And so, no. I mean, net net. Net net super safe, I think, to go ahead and get your own personal copy. And as something I would, you know, potentially consider plugging a bunch of money into, like getting ten or twenty of these. The problem is that you gotta you're only gonna be able to sell them occasionally since it's you know, it's popular in EDH, um, but doesn't seem like the kind of thing people are gonna make a huge priority. Um, so I don't know how many copies would you, would you stash away? Well, you know, I usually think about in the sense of like, how much money do I want to put into this card? So generally I'm in, you know, on the low, low end, like two or three copies type of thing, just to dip my toe in it. Thassa, I could see having like a hundred to $150 worth of Thassa's hanging around. Um, cause it does seem pretty likely to grow, uh, I mean, a lot of times it's go, it's a very cool card to have in play that that enchantment border looks really cool and foil and wasn't the staple seal was in M15, which I thought was before Theros, wasn't it? Let's see. Thassa, God of the Sea. Oh, I guess Theros was right before it. So you're right. They are missing it at the moment. Or, well, at the moment, they are missing it. I don't know. I could see I could see owning like 150 ish dollars worth of this. Um, so like 10 copies, maybe. I mean, there's, even in Japan, there's very few foils lying around. There's no Japanese foils left. There's only one English at about 20 bucks. So um, I'd want to take a look at Magic Card Market in Europe and see whether there, it was worthwhile, although the currency shifts this year in the last half of this year have made that less exciting. Uh, yeah, my bind over there has slowed down considerably. It just keeps getting worse. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving right along, I've got uh, Paradox Engine Foils is at my last pick this week. Um, this is in 9,000 EDH uh, decks and, on EDH Rec, and uh, a steep price curve on the remaining copies. Um, you can get copies as low as 13 bucks, but if you buy up five or six of them, you're going to be looking at 16 or 17, and then it climbs on from there. Um, Paradox Engine looked like it was so broken it might be banned in EDH, but nobody seems to be complaining in that direction lately. Um, people still seem to be more excited about trying to get rid of Soul Ring than they are stuff like Paradox Engine. So um, I have a feeling you're going to get a chance to watch these foils climb up into the $25 or $30 range. Um, keep in mind that it was already a masterpiece as well as the original release. There's no way that it's on anybody's radar for a reprint anytime soon. I would guess you probably get two, three, four, five, maybe even five years before you see this card again. Um, you know, it's not the kind of thing they need to be reprint for modern anytime soon. So I wouldn't expect it to show up in a modern master set. If they finally get around to doing like a commander master set, then, you know, maybe you see it printed, uh, in foil again, but otherwise I think you're going to get some breathing room. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, paradox engine is certainly a home run, you know, that's just a question of how long before they print it again in foil, but so long as they don't, uh, it's just gonna keep climbing up and up and up. Um, my last card for the week is Steel of the Godhead. Uh, kind of an odd card. I'm not like hyper thrilled about it, but it is interesting. Um, I found it when I was looking at Xur, the Enchanter decks, which were a little more popular this week and month on EDA track. Uh, they're $13 right now for foils, um, 12, 12 to 13 kind of in that area. But it's in 9,000 decks, which is way more than I would have guessed. Uh, and... 
No, I'm sorry, 5,000X. It's in 5,000X. It's looking at the wrong line. So I would say buy it between 10 and $12. Um, it's in 5,000X. Zur has been pretty popular lately. Uh, this could easily hit 20 bucks. It's got one reprint, but it was in the Elspeth versus Tezzerite dual deck, I think. So, But there, there's no other foils. It's a weird card, right? It's one of these. It's from that Shadowmore color, Shadowmore block. So you've got that like dual color that cares about color type and also references... Uh, something from that world the godhead was like the blue white avatar um or something like that so a pretty tough card to reprint they're not just going to sneak this guy in the standard you're really only going to see an expansion sets for the most part so you know i wouldn't go crazy on these but if you find these at 10 to 12 dollars in foil i would not hesitate to grab them this has always been a linchpin enchantment in my zur deck um it's not always the first enchantment i go grab but it's usually the within within the first three swings with Zur, um, it usually pops out of the deck. The the ability to get like make him unblockable and then just swing without worrying about who's going to be blocking um, is often pretty good. And also getting him out of the range of of uh, damage spells is also helpful. The I mean, this is a case where if your strategy is to you know stockpile. Um, interesting EDH cards, put them in a binder and then trade with your play group or your local community. Um, a card like this, that's not going to be in super high demand except with Zur players, but you know, you put it on the Zur page in that binder. And if you're the only guy that's got any and the local shop doesn't have one, you can probably get a pretty sweet trade out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's generally what I think is going to be useful for a lot of the people listening is, you know, there a lot of our listeners probably aren't you know, hanging around willing to just immediately throw four or $500 at this type of stuff. They're looking for something they can pick up, uh, see, you know, uh, some good solid gains and then turn that around maybe in trades at their local store, EDH night type of thing. Um, especially because that's a lot easier than setting up uh, selling platforms. Uh, you know, especially if, if you're not doing the volume that like you and I are doing even, then it, it can be kind of a pain to go through when deal with TCG player and eBay. And it requires having some access to some various things that maybe not everyone does, but this kind of gives you an opportunity to pick up, you know, one or two of these, maybe three kind of hang up, keep them around and then trade them up for value in your local store. So, uh, you know, that's really what I'm shooting for with, with this type of card. Yep. Fair enough. All right, so moving right along into our metagame week in review, we're going to talk a little bit about SCG Invitational, um, which is the end of year uh, event for the SCG Tour, um, uh, where uh, and it was a multi-format event. So the uh, the modern deck, the decks from the modern portion, is what we're going to be looking at, but they weren't necessarily a you know a top eight in the truest sense. These are just decks. Um, that uh, were played by the players who did best at the tournament. Um, and it was a, a relatively diverse group. In the top eight, some total, we had uh, Blue Red Storm in first place. We had uh, Whirr uh, of Invention Lantern in the hands of Sam Black in second. Two Grixis Shadow decks, uh, a Burn deck, Eldrazi Tron, Jeskai Control, and a Rug deck. Uh, a color combination that people have been trying to make work in modern for ages, uh, finally rearing its head uh, with a bunch of interesting tech. Um, the first thing that caught my attention there was the Whir, uh, Whir of Invention deck, as we mentioned earlier, um, that runs four Whir of Invention and also four Spire of Industry, which is a card that is also that we've called foils on uh, a while back as something that's likely to see both modern and EDH play, and that's certainly how that's been playing out. Um, so that might be a card worth looking at again. Um have you had the 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 misfortune of playing against the lantern deck in person yet? No, it was floating around back when well, maybe like once. It was still it was definitely there when I was playing modern regularly, but no, only like one person in our store was running it, so I didn't encounter it very often. I remember seeing several games of it and thinking about thinking how miserable it looked. Yeah, that's not very fun. Um, and it looks it looks better in this configuration, so that's <laughs> a little scary. Um, Grixis Shadow decks were pretty much par for the course. Uh, this was not the five-color version that runs things like Traverse the Ilvenwald. This was a more streamlined three-color build. Burn deck was pretty straightforward. Eldrazi Tron is the same menace that we've been facing uh, better part of 18 months. Um, the Jeskai Control deck was running two copies of Search for Azkanta, which is uh, a card that has showed up uh, in a bunch of different builds in modern um, is in uh, a handful of EDH decks so far. Um, and I suspect that the, you know, might end up on our uh, target list at some point for the foils anyway. 
Yeah, the the buy buy a box of those search for us contas is really cool with the map back. I know you were talking about them mm-hmm. before we started recording. Yeah, I mean the the rug deck is probably the, the the most interesting of all the things that was there. I mean this thing was running three copies of Huntmaster of the Fells, two copies of Jace Friend's Prodigy, multiple copies of Blood Moon, um, uh, alongside uh, the full four uh, complement of Goifs. Um, Snapcaster Mages, Tireless Tracker, Cryptic Command, Bolt, Mana Leak, Opt, Remand, Serum Visions, Spell Snare, and Thought Scour. I'm always uh, I'm uh, very interested when people are running Bolt in the current environment uh, and what the logic is uh, for that over builds that, you know, why isn't this a Sultai build that runs Fatal Push instead of Bolt is, I guess, the question I have. Um, and then it was running the two Blood Moon main and three engineered explosives, uh, with explosives being very good against uh, a, a meta where you might have a bunch of one and two casting cost stuff in play you need to clear the board of. Yeah, the the rug being in this in general is very interesting just because we've seen so little of that in modern up till this point. Uh, and I'm hoping that more comes out of it. Uh, and apparently I saw, on, I think I saw on Twitter that it was showing up a little bit on camera today as well uh at whatever event it is it's going on so there maybe it even has some legs this is gerard fabiano that was running this at the invitational so it's not like it was an unknown oh really mm-hmm. <laughs> gerard has a taste for some odd decks doesn't he yeah yeah he, he's definitely on the brewers panel um so anyway uh i, I think that you know jace friend's prodigy continues to to show up in blue deck after blue deck and modern never as a four of usually as a two of um doesn't look like you can fully count out Lightning Bolt or Tarmogoyf yet either. No, I mean, Tarmogoyf is never going to be gone, right? Even if it's not in great position, there are still plenty of decks that are going to stare down that card and be like, well, <laughs> well, I don't know what to do now. This thing, two mana, four, five is still putting on a lot of pressure or five, six. I'm going to need to track down. There must have been an interview time. There was probably a deck tech <laughs> from the Invitational that I haven't seen yet where they were talking about this deck. Um, I mean, this is a pile of cards that everybody pretty much had that plays modern probably has sitting around. So I'm curious as, and, and there's very few new cards here other than opt. So I'm very curious as to why, you know, this is the moment where this particular configuration makes sense. Um, Gonna have to spend some time thinking about that and doing a little research. Uh, yeah, I do wonder how uh, how tuned it is. Well, I guess we'll find out. There's a, um, a there's a big modern GP today in Oklahoma, uh, so we'll see if uh, a rug deck manages to uh, first of all make date two, and then secondly whether you can top eight. Yeah, I don't have high hopes <laughs> for it, but it would be cool to see. Um, but go ahead. Moving right along into our fourth segment, topics of the week. Um, oh, just a grab bag type approach again this week. All sorts of little things going on. Uh, first off the top, you did you feel pretty good about the uh, way Wizards ended up dishing out bannings this week? Uh, well, I... Wasn't surprised to see what's his name, Jeremy, get the the full axe, just like the lifetime total ban for magic. Although, you know, keep in mind that it doesn't matter really because he wasn't really playing um, like DCI events at all. Everything that he was doing, he was doing like on Twitter and Facebook type of thing, and they can't stop him from that. So it's not like you've removed him from the community by much. You've basically only politically distance yourself from him but you i don't think you've saved anyone from anything well the more interest oh, well, well keep, keep in mind one of the the harassment scenarios was having i can't remember if it was him directly or his followers chasing christine down to ask her questions or something on the floor of an event right so there, there, oh, there yeah so there was some aspect of the harassment that took place in person um, he also, you know, it wasn't like the core of his content deck, but the, you know, he had gone to pre-releases. He had, did go to events and cover them when they were within reach. And they also took away his magic online account without letting him cash out. So he lost whatever value was in there. And it <laughs> also means he basically can't stream any magic online as a replacement for the physical component of his content. And he can't re- even really set up another like account and try to do it on the sly because if he, if they you know, if anybody reports that, they'll just track down the game he was playing and ban that account over and over again. So it's going to be a, a losing position. And also, like he made a made comments on on his stream um, after the fact that were just you know ludicrous. Uh, you know, guy finished up his stream by lighting a cigarette and saying he was going to burn it all down. 
It's like, <laughs> it's like, it, like the comedy was too rich. Um, and, you know, I think very satisfying for all the people that have watched him be abusive in, in a variety of scenarios over the years. Um, you know, he's definitely been on my radar for a couple of years as somebody who, you know, no matter how many, no matter how many times you try to talk to the guy in a rational way, um, he's just insistent on, on holding his stance um, as a shit disturber. And, you know, people throwing trying to throw free speech on the table as a legitimate counter argument or just don't understand the nature of free speech um you know it, that's meant to protect you from government interference with your public <laughs> speech not private communities exercising moral control over their own uh you know limits of of acceptance Right. I mean, most of the people who cry free speech about this type of crap are either a intentionally ignorant about it. Uh, they don't know anything and they don't want to know anything because then that undermines their ability to yell about it or B, they're just arguing in bad faith and they know damn well that that's not what it is, but it doesn't matter because they just want to make you angry. Um, but yeah, glad to see him gone. Uh, a little surprised to see Wu gone as well. Um, not that he doesn't deserve it. Uh, but I just wouldn't have expected Wizards to take that move. And I think that's probably the more, the bigger deal is that you're with, with his removal. Um, what is that an alarm for? That's <laughs> uh, just somebody calling me. Go ahead. <laughs> with, with his removal, Wizards is saying, Hey, you don't even, so, okay, let me slow down a little bit. You can go find screen caps and people have provided them of him saying some pretty heinous crap. So it's not like he, his hands are completely, uh, clean right uh, but even beyond that they're saying hey even if you're not the most vile person if you're not like really aggressively involved in all of this if you are um aiding that if you are providing spaces for it if you are like trying to encourage that type of thing which you could argue he did because he did that like magic for bad facebook group which was just somewhere for people to go be assholes um that's not going to stand either. So it, that I would consider that the bigger deal as, as wizards is letting everyone know we're not going to deal with any of this crap. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought it was a straightforward corporate decision. Really? I mean, the magic for bad, why does that need to exist? Well, because, it doesn't because, because, <laughs> because, and I've heard this over and over again, because quote unquote, men, you need a place to blow off steam and just be themselves. I'm sorry. If you're, if the, the yourself that you're being, is an asshole. <laughs> you might want to reconsider why you feel like you need to do that in the first place. Secondly, to be to suggest that you need some kind of private space to do it, it implicates yourself with a level of guilt, right? Anything you you have to you can only say in private that you couldn't say at the mall or at work or at the dinner table with mixed company. Um, you probably shouldn't be saying in the first place. It's it's not that complicated, and especially since we're talking about magic, like this isn't about like some oppressed political group that has spent 50 years under the yoke of, of the dictatorship and, and has choice things to say about it that are well-earned through blood and toil. These are dudes that, that can't handle the concept of just playing magic without, you know, doing at least being neutral to the people around them. (laughs) How hard is it to walk into a game store and just say, hello, my name is sit down, play your game, say thank you and walk away. Uh, very hard. <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I, I don't know why anybody expects anything more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, the whole concept of, oh, I need a place to, to blow off spe- steam and guys being guys is like, okay, so what you're saying is you're just a shitty human being and you want to do it someplace where no one's going to be upset at you for being shitty. And it's like, so the problem yeah, here I mean, isn't that people, you don't have somewhere to do it. It's that you're being a shitty person. Like, why is that who you are? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, exactly. I don't need that. And most good and good people don't need that because I'm not a awful person when the doors are closed. Right. It's like morality is what you do when nobody's watching. And this is sort of a similar concept. Yeah, and I mean, um, to, to claim that magic should not be politicized is just ridiculous when the politics in question are basic human dignity. Like, we, nobody is trying to, it's not like when people walk into an LGS now that you have to endure like one an hour-long morality lecture before you get to start playing. Like, nobody is going to bother you or impose anything upon you other than basic kindness <laughs> like that that's it that's all anybody's expecting that's any what any woman wants any man any child any trans human being anybody that's that's all anybody's looking for and 
you know, you don't, you don't need to run around, wave a flag and join a march for three hours before you get to the GP. You just got to show up, register your deck, play your games, be polite and go home. It's, it's not hard. Yeah. What would like, I'm trying to think what would politicize magic actually look like? I guess that would probably be like wizards requiring you to register to vote or something before you could buy cards or like putting real world political events on the cards so that like you had to like, you know, interface with that information in order to play the game like there are that's (laughs) this is not politicizing the game this is just saying like because you're talking about people's lives right like when someone shows up to the store and people are making their lives miserable and being awful like that's not politics you're just making things awful for people there uh so that you know you can say it's all about politics because it's not your lived experience but it's theirs um and you've all got a right to be there I get how like the seven guys that show up and never quite make an FNM in like middle of nowhere USA um, feel like their LGS is their private clubhouse and are offended by the fact that anybody would impose a set of standards that none of them share. <laughs> but they need to realize that no matter what your your space is, it's a public space. I mean, that's that's a private business, but it's FNMs and and you know magic events run through the Wizards Play Network are intended to be public. So you, you have to apply the same standards you would apply at work that you would apply in any kind of scenario where you might uh, uh, incur uh, censor. And yeah, well, the, well, that's the, that's the problem is you said the same ones they would do at work, but if that is what they would do at work. Well, I mean, it, if that's what if that's what your workplace lets you get away with, your workplace has got problems uh, because any reasonable modern workplace, you know, that's that's going to be registered with HR and, and then a couple of times down the road, you're going to be fired. So, I mean, yeah. nothing I saw, nothing I saw those guys accused of would be anything that would do anything less than get one of my employees fired. I mean, we would well, we have zero tolerance policy for harassment. You, you run a, a reasonable business there. Are, I think there are a lot of, you know, garages and auto shops and hardware stores and construction firms and where that type of, you know, it's, between three and 30 employees and that's that's everything that happens all the time so you get that culture developed where people like you know that's what your family is like that's what your 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 job is like uh and so it's really weird when that's what your hobby isn't like your hobby is so progressive compared to every other aspect of your life it can be difficult to to reconcile those and it's not an excuse at all but i can understand how people have some difficulty coming to terms with all of this and, and honestly, like, I don't even think that our hobby is that progressive. Like, I, I think that that the, it, certain employees in leadership positions at Wizards have made reasonable inroads to addressing certain issues. Um, you know, the, the updated code of conduct is a really good thing to have in place in a hobby. But as we said, I don't think the hobby is particularly politicized. Like, there are there have been touches of pr- progress. <clears throat> little flashes in terms of character development. Um, uh, you know, we had the, uh, uh, Alesha or whatever being the first trans character in magic. These are good things. These are, these are not highly politicized events. It's not like you're casting spells called social justice warrior. Um, you know, the, the game is still the game. It's still wizards throwing, uh, fireballs at each other and, and summoning dragons. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, you don't think this is a fairly progressive hobby relative to like most others? Uh, relative to say video gaming or something? Sure, but the, I mean that that might be one of the worst communities on the planet. <laughs> net net, um, serviced by a generation who has grown up with the um, dubious benefits of anonymity um, and being able to troll people from behind a screen. Right. I I don't know. I think magic as a whole is fairly progressive in in terms of like what they let people get away with type of thing uh but maybe not maybe not i don't know i i guess most of my other hobbies tend to stray into the video game world so i'm comparing against that but wizards as a company does seem interested in trying to publicly state you know be very public about their openness and whatnot for the most part yeah, I, mean, I think the bottom line is nobody, they're really, the, the expectations placed on the player base through this supposed progress are not are not in any way a strain. Like, okay, you can't call somebody a fag at your LGS. You, you can still do all the things that are part and parcel to actually enjoying the game. 
building decks, talking about those decks, playing those decks, winning or losing with those decks, buying cards, selling cards. None of these things are affected by any of this. <laughs> no, not at all. All right, let's uh, let's hop off the soapboxes for a couple minutes here. There were a few topics that popped up that I thought would be worth revisiting because there's nothing terribly exciting going on right now. Anyways, um, one of our listeners asked, how do you know when to sell? Uh yeah, I think we've talked about this once or twice, but always good to revisit. How do you know when to sell? Uh, this is essentially a function of what is the price today? What do I think the price will be in the future? And is there a better opportunity for my money? Um, you know, you kind of, if you do this correctly, uh, and that is very difficult, you don't think about how much you paid for the card. You just look at it in your hand and you say, today it's $20. Do I think it's going to go up or down? Uh, if it's going to go up, I don't sell it. If I think it's going to go down, I do sell it. And also, uh, if I'm holding the card, like if I think it's going to go up, is it going to go up fast enough? If it's going, if you think the card's going to double, but it's going to take two years, uh, you might be better off just selling it today and moving that money into a card that you think might double in three months. Um, because then in that case, you're making your money back a lot faster, even though you're selling the first card either at parity or at a loss, what have you. So you know, that's, that's the general strategy is try and forget what you pay for it. Just think about what it looks like in the future uh, and whether or not you can do something better with the money right now. I have cards that just kind of sit in my collection and I don't really increase their price or I don't really move them, even though they're kind of slow growers because I'm not sure where else I want to dump the money at the moment. So they just kind of hang out. Uh, but uh, those are also all cards that I know are going to go up in price, not down. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that, even if it might not necessarily be the fastest way to increase my money. Yeah, I, the key point in what you just said is opportunity cost. It, it's that is always should be the core of your financial decisions. If I hold this now, what does that cost me both literally and, you know, in terms of my other options? So you bought something at whatever it's at this, that doesn't matter. That's all sunk and it's behind you. All that matters is where's it going from here? Is that better or worse than where I could put it? Um, and that covers almost every scenario. The only time modifying factor with magic is that if it has utility value. So for instance, with standard staples that you're still, you still want to play with for four months, uh, is it worth it to unload, you know, $40 worth of cards so they don't turn into $10 worth of cards? Probably not. You should probably just keep paying your, playing your deck. Um, with, you know, a modern card that looks very likely to get banned in a, in a while that's been sitting around in the back of your binder that you never play with. Yeah, that's something you should unload. Um, some kind of EDH foil that's, that is likely to see a reprint maybe this year, maybe next, maybe the one after. Um, and there's some card you need in modern and you're complaining about how expensive modern is. Um, yeah, you should probably be trading so, or buy listing so that you can get access to what you actually want. Um, I think the biggest sin, uh, is to, uh, sin of denial where in magic finance, where, you know, you let your bad specs rot in the back of the closet and pretend they don't exist instead of just buy listing, getting that cash, putting it into a good idea and moving forward um, to regain the ground. Because the thing is that like, if you buy a hundred or something at a dollar and you think it's going to go to $5 and you're expecting to sell play sets at 20 and you're going to pocket a, like $14 after fees and time spent or something. And that's your big plan. And it fails and the card doesn't go anywhere in standard, but you can still buy list that card for, 45 cents or whatever, you should just reclaim your money and then put it back into something that's going to grow. Because if you just hold on to that card for four or five, six years, ho hoping that one day it's going to turn the corner, like all the people that are sitting on piles of seance or something, um, you know, eventually that seance just gets reprinted and knocks you right back to ground zero. So you're much better off taking your losses and reinvesting than you are sitting on something and pretending you, you didn't make that mistake. You have never said anything that so directly attacked me, James. <laughs> it, 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 I'm looking in a mirror while I do it, like literally across the room and, and watching my lips move. And, and part of my brain is like, yeah, but aggressive mining might get there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Still could, right? Like there's no reason to think that it couldn't. Uh, it, it is definitely the hardest thing to not do. And we are all guilty of it in some regards. And, uh, I, I would be, everyone's going to do it. So just try and minimize it, I guess, really. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is to, you know, be, don't make re reactions in a knee jerk way. Don't sell off a play set of whatever, because somebody on camera during coverage said the card might not be that good anymore. You really want to look at 
um, you know, patterns um, over some period of time and give yourself a chance to react. I mean, if somebody announces a, a reprint on camera or something, that's a whole different story. Like you, at, at that point, you want to sell as fast as you possibly can. Um, and if you if but if you feel that tingle in the back of your head, that something you're holding on that's been going up and up, you know, maybe peaking, you know, don't don't be reluctant to get out. Like I got out of Glimpse the Unthinkables last year, got out of, um, you know, Snapcaster Mage foils when they were the only printing, got out of Jace Friends Prodigy foils when they were climbing into the stratosphere um, because I have a greed meter. So like past 50 or 60 percent a year it goes into a separate pile on my desk and I start looking for exits. Even if I think there might be more meat left on the bone. Um, you know, there's this old adage about leaving, leaving the last bit for the, for the next guy um, to make sure you get out safely. And you should definitely uh, take that mm-hmm. to heart. Yep. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the other topic was, um, I guess this is pretty similar. When's a good time to get out of specs that didn't quite hit. Um, they haven't failed. They just didn't really jump uh, short-term, medium, long-term. Do you keep holding, buy less, sells normal? Yeah, I guess this is basically the same question. It doesn't really matter what, what you paid for yeah, it. We, just listen to everything we just said over the last four minutes, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's more or okay. less the same thing. Um, and that's all I've got written down. You got any other topics you want to cover here? I think that's it for this week. I hope you guys all used that latest eBay coupon last night. That was a good one. Uh, keep your eyes on the crypto markets this weekend. We're heading into the futures trading, so it's likely to be a wild one. Um, I sold a bunch of Bitcoin this morning, which it looks like I'm going to regret. So <laughs> yay me. Um, uh, hopefully the rest of you will not be quite so foolish. Um, so that's a wrap for this week. Where can people uh, find I'm you on online, Twitter, Travis? Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday for MTG Price, and I do the webcast Cartel Aristocrats, which is on break this month. If you like playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. Find Magic in your area. You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MDGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MDGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money All right, that brings playing us Magic the Together. Episode 97, I believe, uh, was a good one. And I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.